man, guys, we are in the final two chapters of the book of John. I won't go long tonight. We're going to talk about Jesus in his resurrection. Jesus coming out of the tomb. Jesus rising from the dead and ascending to glory at his Father's right hand. Last week we talked about it is finished and the implications of that, that our inheritance, our redemption, our salvation has been paid in full. That the calling in Jesus' life to come back and be king of all the nations, it's paid in full. It is done. You can take it to the bank. And now we get to see the fruit of his phrase, it is finished. And Jesus, in his resurrected glory, encountering his disciples. I was just thinking, I was talking with my brother-in-law this weekend. We had some family in town. And I was talking with one of my brother-in-laws about the resurrection, and he just said this phrase, what was it like in the tomb, Easter morning, resurrection Sunday, and Jesus opens his eyes and takes his first breath as a resurrected man. I mean, that really happened. This isn't a fairy tale we believe in. God put his stamp on Jesus Christ as his son, as it says in Romans 1, that God declared him to be his son by raising him from the dead in the spirit of holiness. Jesus Christ, our Lord. Well, let's open up our Bibles to John chapter 20. And we're just going to read a little bit before we get going here. We're only going to focus on really one phrase in this, but I want to set the stage. We're going to begin in about verse 19. Mary Magdalene was at the tomb. She saw it open. She ran back. She said, they've taken the body of our Lord. Peter and John run to the temple. Not to the temple, sorry, to the tomb. Peter and John run to the tomb. John's gracious to say that he beat Peter. Peter goes in first, and he looks. And said, and John goes in as well, and it looks, or the disciple whom Jesus loved, whom we're pretty sure was John. And said, and, and John believed when he saw and then Jesus encounters Mary, and then we pick it up in verse 19. It says, on the evening of that day, same day, first day of the week, on the evening that Jesus rose from the dead, the doors, with the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and he showed them his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. And if you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now, verse 24. Now, Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. Now, what a bad time not to be with them, you know? I was just thinking about this. I would have came into that and been like, what? 
You know that fear of missing out? Thomas might have had it right then from the rest of his life. Like, I'm staying with you guys. I want to see the things that are happening. But I think Jesus knew that Thomas wasn't going to be there. And I think he was being a pastor to Thomas and revealing some of the doubt that was in his heart. It says, now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the marks of the nails and place my finger in the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. (laughs) That's a pretty strong statement. Verse 26, eight days later, the Lord takes eight days to let that just ruminate. (laughs) Jesus' timing isn't like our timing, is it? Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. John stresses this, although the doors were locked, he stresses it twice in this chapter, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him and he changed his tune. (laughs) Guys, one encounter with Jesus can change the tune of anyone that says, I will never believe. I'm contending for someone in my own life right now. I'm praying for one encounter. Jesus, just show up. Jesus, just release a dream. Jesus, let him experience your glory. Jesus, let his body get healed. Do whatever you want to do. But Jesus, show up. And let that confession of I will never believe be changed into Thomas' confession. He says, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and have yet believed. So I titled this sermon, Do Not Disbelieve, But Believe. It's what Peter says to Thomas. I mean, it's what... Jesus says to Thomas, do not disbelieve. Do not be disbelieving, but believe. And then this phrase that Jesus says after this, he says, you have believed because you have seen, but blessed are those who have not seen and have yet believed. And I feel like Jesus was talking about us. I feel like in his heart, statement, his mind went to the generations we talked about in Psalm 22 last week, a posterity, which just means future generations, were going to believe in him and say, he has done this. He has accomplished it all. He has paid in full the price of my redemption. Jesus was thinking about us. Jesus was thinking about my children. He's thinking about the children of my children that have yet to believe. And he says, They are going to be blessed. And so it's two phrases that just kept going over and over in my heart this week. Blessed are those who have not seen and who have yet believed. Now this word blessed in the Greek, you know, I didn't actually practice saying this. JR, can you help me? How do you pronounce it? Say it again. Makarios. Makarios? Makarios. 
Makarios. I butchered it still, but... <laughs> don't, don't call me out. I can't roll my R's, bro. Don't. I'm just trying. He talks that way to you, Yvonne. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> it's like, no, 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 that's not right. JR, I'm preaching. Like, let me get it. I'm just playing. <laughs> Makarios. And, and at the root, it means to be happy, to be well off, to be fortunate. But I was just thinking of this word because it's used in the Gospels quite a bit. Matthew 5 has a lot of blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who suffer for righteousness' sake. And just a little, little bit of research of the root of this word, it, it began to be used initially of the Greek gods. The blessed ones were the gods in the Greek culture, and they had achieved a state of happiness and contentment in life that was beyond all cares, labors, and even death. And then it began to be spoken of the blessed were those who, who were dead, who those who had passed on. Those who through death had reached the other world of the gods. They were now beyond the cares and problems and worries of earthly life. To be blessed in the Greek, uh, in ancient Greek, you had to be dead. <laughs> Praise God, we get to be blessed now and we get to be alive. Finally, in Greek, this word came to refer to the elite or the, the upper class, the upper level of society, the wealthy people. It referred to people whose riches and power put them above normal cares and problems and worries of others. And then we see Jesus redefine this term in the gospel. Really, the, the, the Bible has a different, a different definition of blessed. And though we could look at different places in the scripture, Jesus here says the definition of those who are blessed are those who are believing in me, those who are putting their faith in me, those who are putting their trust in me. Now, the blessed one called others blessed, and they followed him with all of their heart, and they didn't have the most outwardly, what the world would say, blessed life. But what they were blessed in is that they were believing in the resurrected Christ, and they were encountering his glory now, and they were hoping in the glory of their salvation. Now, I think it's also important for us to not only think that this word blessed means happy or well-off or fortunate. We need to be careful in thinking blessed only means to be happy because I don't think the biblical definition of, I don't think the opposite of blessed in the Bible is unhappy. I think the opposite of blessed more than likely is cursed. Let's go to Matthew 25, verse 34. It says this in this parable, and in many other references, it says, those who are blessed are those who are inheriting the kingdom of God, those who are inheriting eternal life, those who are secure in the salvation that Jesus provided. Let's read this. It says, then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. I, I, I pray that statement often. There's a kingdom, and a king and a father are preparing it for me. It's a kingdom already, but it's a kingdom not yet as well. And it's prepared for me to walk in now and for me to walk in fullness then. But verse 41 says, 
Then he will say to those on his left, those that aren't blessed, depart from me, you cursed, into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. So I just wrote down that believing in Jesus, it's a serious matter. This statement about those who are blessed is not just practical advice for successful living. And I think in our culture, sometimes we think of, oh, I want the blessed life. I want those practical words of wisdom for successful living. But being blessed here, this statement is a prophetic declaration made on a conviction of a king and a kingdom that is coming and that is already here. Those are blessed who put their trust in this king. It says the blessed ones are those who believe. And I was just asking myself this question, what are we believing here? What does believing mean in John chapter 20? What does believing mean when he's talking to Thomas? And he said, you've believed because you've seen. Blessed are those who have not seen but have still believed. And I think the evidence points to it's believing in Jesus in his resurrection. It's believing that he is the Son of God alive from the dead at the right hand of the Father. Jesus is risen. Jesus is alive. And then also believing the implications of that. We are supposed to put our faith and our hope in the Son of God's resurrection. This is something way bigger than one Sunday a year. This is something way bigger than just Easter Sunday. All of our hope is wrapped up in the resurrection of Jesus. I love Jesus' testimony that he spoke of himself in Revelation chapter 1. Let's go to Revelation 1 verse 8. This is Jesus' own confession of himself in Revelation 1. He says, fear not to John. John's on his face. He's just heard the trumpet like thunder, the sound of many waters. He's seen Jesus in his glorified state with a face shining like the sun, with eyes like fire. And he falls down at his feet as though he was dead. And I think you and I would as well. And Jesus turns to him. He says, fear not, John. He says, I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I love that title that Jesus gives to himself. I'm the living one. I'm the one who has life. It's like what he says to Martha. He says, I am the resurrection. I am the life. And he says, I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Someone say hallelujah. He is going to conquer death and Hades. He has already taken the power away from death and Hades. It is his final enemy, as it says in 1 Corinthians 15. But death and Hades is going to pass away. And Jesus has already taken the power away from them. Let's go to Colossians 3, 17 through 19. Another title that is given of Jesus by the writers of the New Testament Paul in Colossians and then Paul in Romans again. It says here in Colossians, He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, and He is the firstborn from the dead. John gives him this title also in Revelation chapter 1. He says, He is the faithful witness, John says, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. And I love this title of Jesus. Because it says in Romans 8.29, let's go to Romans 8.29, Paul uses this in another place. 
For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son in order that he might be the firstborn, here's that word again, among many brothers. So if you put the two ideas together, Jesus is the firstborn of the dead, but guys, he's going to bring many brothers and sisters into his resurrected state. And I just begin to ask the question, what are the results? What's the, what's the value? What has happened because of the resurrection? And I was just looking at different scriptures that was speaking on Jesus and the resurrection. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. What are the results of the resurrection? Well, one of the results is it's how we are born again. It says this, By his great mercy we have been born anew or born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. If Jesus would have stayed in the tomb, we wouldn't get the advantage, get the privilege of being born of God, as John says, of having God's DNA in us as human beings. We are born of God. Now that is true now, and it's going to be true, as Paul says in Romans 8, when the sons of God are revealed in their fullness in our resurrection. The second thing I was meditating on, on just the results of the, the resurrection, is that this is how we have repentance and forgiveness of sins. It says in Acts 5, 31, The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. Peter's being pretty bold with the Sanhedrin here. He says, The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. And God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior, or as prince and savior. So that, the idea is so that he could give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given those to, who obey. We have the ability to turn away from sin and to God. Jesus in his resurrection has given us that ability to turn to God. And in turning to God, having our sins washed away and accepted in the throne room. Guys, we are going to praise the Lamb, Jesus, for his blood, for the cross, forever. We're going to be in the presence of Jesus and his Father in our resurrected bodies, knowing that there was no access to this place of glory, no access to this home, which will be ours eternally, without Jesus dying and then rising from the dead. And we're going to say glory. We're going to say hallelujah. We're going to say holy. But we're going to be filled with revelation when we see him. Another verse in 1 Corinthians 15, 17, it says this. If Christ had not been raised, then your hope is futile and you are still in your sins. <laughs> That's a negative way to say if this didn't happen, then there is no hope for us. And we're still in our sins, and we can't approach God. Paul actually says in 1 Corinthians 15, he says that if there's no resurrection, we are to be the most pitied of all men because we've bought into a great lie. That's the idea. But then Paul goes in after saying that. He says, oh, but there is hope. 
And he just goes, lays out the gospel, and he lays out the resurrected bodies that will be ours, and he lays out the return of the Lord. 1 Corinthians 15 is an amazing study, not just of Jesus' resurrection, but also our resurrection and what he has purchased for us. The third thing I was meditating on just in what has been given to us in the resurrection is that this is how we know that Jesus is the Son of God. I referenced it a while back in Romans, at the beginning of, of my sermon. It says this in Romans 1, 1 through 3. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his holy prophets in the holy scriptures, concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared, again, by the Father, was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. It's the stamp. It's the seal of approval. It's the public display. This is my Son. I accept him. I accept his ministry. And he is now at my right hand as Lord. That word Lord, it's the same as Yahweh. He's equal to the Father. He's Lord and Messiah all in one. They were looking for an earthly Messiah. God sent them an earthly Messiah, but he made them equal to himself. It's a beautiful thing. That's what Peter preaches in in Acts chapter 2. He says, now God has made this Jesus both Lord, meaning like Isaiah 45, Lord, that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess to, and Messiah. He holds both offices. It's a beautiful thing. We'll just hit one more. I had six. I whittled 15 down to six, and now I'm going to whittle six down to, I think, four. <laughs> Let's go to the sixth reason. The sixth reason is this is how we can have confidence in our own resurrection. I love 1 Corinthians 4, verse 14. It says this, We know that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. Let's just read that again. We know, oh, I'm sorry, I used the wrong translation in my notes. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. So he's speaking to the Corinthian church, and he's saying, we know this. And Paul's talking a lot in, in 2 Corinthians 3, 4, and 5 about his own bodily, like his body's wasting away. He has been persecuted. He's not, he's not crushed. And he's, not just, he's crushed, but he's not destroyed but his body is wasting away. He says, we know this, the Lord will raise us and also with you, meaning, and when you die, he will raise you as well and he'll bring us all into his presence together as one family. That is a beautiful promise. Paul also says in Romans 8, 11, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit 
who dwells in you. These are beautiful promises that we as believers can cling to. Guys, we have such hope because Jesus was raised from the dead. And I love how John goes on in the very next verses. He, got, he, he said, guys, if we would have written, like Jesus did many more miracles. And in chapter 21, he says, and if we would have written them all down, none of the, all of the books of the world wouldn't be enough to contain them. But he says, but I've written these things down so that you can believe in his name. And guys, we need to take the word of God, that which has been given us so seriously in prayer and in meditation because this has been given to us. This is our testimony so that we can believe. And John says, and in believing, have life in his name. All right. So we are done. Why don't we stand? And I'm just going to pray a few things from this over us. I just had the thought today, like one of the, like constant, like the, one of the proofs of the resurrection that is with us, there's many proofs that, that have, uh, there's many ways that's proven in the past with 11 different accounts of people seeing him, one, 500 saw him at one time. We have circumstantial evidence, we have eyewitness evidence, but one of the evidences that is with us right now is when we lay hands on the sick and pray for them to be healed, and we see them recover before our eyes. It's Jesus testifying to the resurrection that he has purchased for us and wanting us to experience some of that redemption in our bodies now. So if anyone is sick in the room, why don't you just raise your hand, sick in any way, and we're just gonna ask for resurrection power to be released in our bodies, sick or in pain or any disorder that you want Jesus to wash away. Just keep your hands raised. Let's, as a group of believers, gather around. And we're just going to be faithful. Let's gather around them. Let's lay our hands on them in a very respectful way. And we're just going to end our time by crying out for power to be released in our bodies. Is that good? I'll pray just for a second, and then you guys pray, and we can be done. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the living one. We thank you that there is life eternal in who you are. Lord, we ask you for a down payment now of that eternal life that will be ours forever in the healing of our brothers' and sisters' bodies right now. Release resurrection life right now. Release resurrection power right now. Pull back the veil to our inheritance and give it right now to our brothers and sisters. Now you guys just pray over them as you feel led and just release the healing power of the Lord, that resurrection life. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, release power right now. Release life in the mind, release life in the heart, release life in the blood. 
release life in joints, in muscles, release life in our bones. Resurrection life right now, just release it. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Lord, we love you. And we pray that we would grow in revelation as to who you are as the living one, as to who you are as the king eternal, as to who you are in the one who will return and give life and resurrection to all those who put their trust in you. And Lord, we ask you for that power to be released in our lives now. And we thank you that you call us blessed because of our faith in you. We love you, Lord. Amen and amen.